Welcome to the first episode of the NES Experience. Our goal for this podcast is going to be to share some of Ned's knowledge uh, in sports performance training for any interns, uh, coaches, athletes, parents, uh, anyone else really who's interested in uh, learning how to maximize athletic performance. Uh, So instead of really just hanging around with uh, Ned for like five hours a day, just listening to him talk, uh, hopefully... You know, you'll be able to uh, turn one of these on and uh, get a little bit more information and uh, some of the answers that you're you're looking for. Uh, Ned, do you want to talk about why you're kind of doing this or elaborate on it? Yes, thank you, Dante. Um, I've been training, developing uh, interns and coaches for a long time, so we're looking at about 20 years now. What I'm starting to notice is there's less time during the day. So I have two kids, a five and a six-year-old. They're adorable and completely exhausting. Um, And what I'm seeing is that they're starting to occupy uh, a little bit more of my time. So when you look at, you know, the amount of time when we are at work coaching groups, you know, it's that practical application component, whereas um, a lot of the science and the sit-down time to where we could go and listen to Ned go off on tangents for hours on end. That's becoming, uh, less, less, less Ned time. So this is a good way for them to hear a lot of the things, my experiences, background, you know, situations. It's a way for them to get extra information and knowledge without having to be face to face, you know, with me, but it goes along more than that. This, I mean, this is, there's an intern, a lot of my former coaches reached out and they said, you know, you need a platform. You have a lot of experiences, some of the best parts of our internship or, you know, being employed by you was, you know, all the, the things and the stories that you taught. So that's another component. And then, you know, current athletes, current parents, I feel that there's a lot of things that they should know that's not talked about or, you know, accessible. So I'd like to be a resource for them. So there's a lot of different, you know, much like my stories, there's a lot of different, you know, ways that you can veer off and, and there's a lot of reasons that we're trying to do this. So yeah, I know Ned probably wants to give a little bit of his bio and stuff like that. uh, Just kind of for anyone who doesn't really know about him or anything like that, just kind of really quick, how long you've been kind of doing sports performance training, all that jazz. Why, when you talk, people should actually like, listen, you know, you're not just some like random, like, you know, bum on the corner, just being like, ah, like run a 40, you know? So, um, well, I am an Indiana transplant originally. I'm from Michigan city, actually Chesterton, Indiana, uh, go Purdue. Um, I'm from a family of chiropractors, so parents, uncles, and cousins, I want to say there's probably seven, seven chiropractors or so in my family. I was the black sheep who decided to veer off. I knew I wanted to do something in the sports medicine field, uh, but I didn't know exactly what, so it was kind of natural for me to, you know, I don't want to say stay in the same genre, but training and working with people, sports medicine has always been something that I've, um, I was interested in. So, um, that's where I get my health background. And then in high school athletics, I was a power lifter built for size. Um, I did track and I did, uh, I threw, I was a lifter for the cheerleaders. I was not a cheerleader. 
I lifted cheerleaders in order to be a cheerleader. You have to uh, actually cheer, and I just threw them up and caught them. So don't call me a cheerleader. So you're a thrower of cheerleaders. You weren't, weren't. Did you wear a uniform? I lifted cheerleaders. Therefore, I was a lifter. So, but did you wear like a cheerleader uniform, or I like did. were you just doing it in like sweatpants? Like what, what was going on? Uh, there was a much like most sports. There was a uniform. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, did did it match the other cheerleader? I mean, generally, you want to look, you know, similar to your your other team ish mates. So, if if they had a roster, would you be on the roster? So, at that point in time, uh, yeah. So, I did that in high school. I'm done about you, you know, teasing me about being a cheerleader. Uh, I was almost a cheerleader for Purdue, um, but I ended up actually retiring from all sports at the high school level for various reasons that I'm not going to go into. Uh, with that being said, I went to Purdue for my undergraduate degree um, in health and kinesiology. After I left Purdue, um, that's when I figured out I wanted to work with athletes. I worked with their college team. I moved to Florida and went to IMG Academies, and I was an intern there. That was my first internship experience. Learned from a bunch of really smart people. Uh, I was down there for a couple years and then I relocated to the East coast, um, in 2005 and then same thing started as a coach, became a director, started learning systems, was a part of a system velocity sports performance. Um, that was for four years, created my own system, uh, which was IEP or integrated athletic performance based out of Oakville. Um, and then at that point in time, started doing consulting, where I would go into performance facilities and um, optimize their operations, sales, marketing, improve their product quality, improve uh, the retention of their coaches and a whole bunch of fun stuff like that. And now I'm doing a little bit less of that and I'm doing more uh, hand one-on-one or not one-on-one. We do small group training, but back hands-on with the athletes uh, since 2015 and we are now in 2021, so there you go. I've been everything from the intern to the boss to everything in between. I've been middle management. I've, I've kind of seen and done everything in this field. So I would li- like to think that in 20 years I learned something. Uh, so maybe we can get some of that out. So, yeah, you, you just brought it up a couple of times. Um, but, like, the system, um, you know, so you want to just kind of describe what that is, like when you talk about like what kind of system you're using when you're actually training athletes and stuff like that? Yes. So um, if you look at most successful businesses, there's a system. There's a, if you look at one of the best system uh, organizations, McDonald's, you know, you know, everywhere you go, Big Mac, you can get a Big Mac in China, it's going to taste the same way. Um and they've replicated a system over and over and over again, which has been proven, whether you like McDonald's or not. Uh, but the Big Mac is tasty enough for them to be a multi-billion-dollar business. So, um, and what they're able to do is give the same experience um, and replicate for them. Their result is the Big Mac that ultimately people want to eat. Um, now, it's probably not good to compare, you know, a sports performance system with a Big Mac or a fast food restaurant. But, you know, what we're doing is in my 20 years, I've created, um, you know, a a solid foundational program that encompasses an integrated uh, approach to training 
to maximize an athletics and uh, an athlete's performance and maximize their genetic potential. So ultimately, I improve measurables um, and speed, power, agility, a lot of different things to make them perform better for their sport to hopefully get them, you know, assist in the process of them getting a college scholarship and then making it to the college level or the professional level. Now, how we do that, uh, our athletes typically come in three days a week. Uh, the sessions are an hour and a half. Everything is tracked, progressed, and planned so that's not something where you have a wad or a workout of the day and it's complete random off the cuff. You know, every pro, I mean, my programs take an hour and a half to two hours for every program that I write. Um, within that program, there's a flexibility and mobility piece. Uh, we address running mechanics, so we teach athletes how to run. Speed is a skill that can be trained and developed. Um, improving change of direction, foot speed, quickness, those are all things that apply. We're building athleticism. So we're actually, we're not just doing drills. We're actually training athletes how to move differently, how to load appropriately, uh, and to become better athletes. So from the speed, power, agility, that's all progressional also. So you don't come in and do level 10, high level, you know, elite running mechanics. We'll go through, we have to build the foundation first and then build on top of that. So it's a very comprehensive movement um, program. It's very hard to, to, to get people to run faster. I mean, as you go through when you're young, you can get by with hormones. You hit puberty hormones kick in. Yes, you're naturally going to get stronger without picking up a weight. You're going to get faster without doing anything. But once those hormones kick in, um, it's that added, you know, element to help optimize those new hormones and get you to perform at a higher level and, you know, run faster and move better. So we have the, the warm up mobility and running mechanic piece. And then there's the weight room. So some, some things that are getting ignored now is the weight room. Lifting weights and getting stronger makes you a better athlete. Um, social media is great, and I use it for marketing, and a lot of people are doing that, but people are starting to get caught up in in drills and doing things for shock value. Like like the box jump. I've seen like so many people doing box jumps and just knowing like the kind of form that you teach, like trying to get full extension and stuff like that. Like, so many people just tucking their knees, like, trying to get, like, oh, like, I just hit a 48-inch, like, box jump. Yeah. It's like, ah, it's terrible for, like, just so much of your lower body. Yeah, I mean, that's jumping and loading. That's how we decrease injury, and that's something that, you know, we teach our athletes because we want to decrease the risk of injury. And believe it, yes, there really is a right and wrong way to do everything. Now, do we do really high box jumps? We get to the point where we do do that, but do we... We don't start with that. So, yes, it's teaching them how to jump and load. And then, you know, as we progress and what, you know, the advanced level jumping, but people are going in and just doing advanced level things the wrong way to make it look like, you know, to get followers and to get likes and to get people excited and, you know, and what they do. So that's not how we, we kind of roll. But so we when you look at that strength component, strength and power, um, we work on the backside of the body. We do a lot of gluten hamstring development. We do physical therapy exercises to reduce the risk of injury. So, Tay, if you were, you know, a quarterback in college, there's a there's a series of things that you need 
to optimize your performance that are different from a swimmer. So part of, you know, the, the NES program, the system is we're able to, you know, have our quarterbacks and our throwing athletes, you know, do different exercises and different progressions that are more specific. I'm not saying we're sports specific, but, uh, more specific, you know, things than, you know, having everybody do the same thing. So within the weight room, we already talked about the physical therapy exercises. We address the core and everything. Um, that's progressional. And uh, there's a nutritional component. So a lot of kids come in. They need to gain weight, lose weight, decrease body fat percentage. Um, that's included in the program that we track when they first come in. We do midpoint evaluations and then endpoint. And you'll see on our Instagram before and afters all the time after eight weeks, two months, three months. We just did a post, you know, for a year with uh, with one of our athletes that lowered his 66 tenths of a second. So this is measured results. They go into the real world. They get tested. You know, athletic performance is 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 measured now. So it's not it's not as easy as just being going out just going out there and running through the motions. I mean, there's a lot of competition. People are specializing. People are using this to get a competitive advantage. There's there really is a right and wrong way or optimal way to do things and whether you're in you know high school or college most of the time it 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 does involve too many people not enough time so our groups are limited to nine or lower so it's a very small group format where you get one-on-one individual attention and we're able to you know i spend the extra time to categorize and and really give people you know what i'd like to think what they deserve because uh, I can, and that's why I've designed a system where I don't have 30 people in a group where it's not all cookie-cuttered and templated to the level to where it's not <clears throat> specific enough for you know the individual person. Yeah, and um, I think one of the other things I, I wanted to say, too, is um, going to some other you know coaches or performance places, I know when we do... 40 yard dash training stuff like that a lot of it was focused on oh like here's a little like shortcut or like a little tip like you know like you want to try and cheat like your reach on the 5105 stuff like that there was no real actual focus on like getting you faster it was just oh like let's work on your you know technique or whatever like that but really the technique is just oh like here's a little cheat you should try and do when you're getting tested and i'll lower your time it's not really getting you faster to perform on the field Yes. I mean, the, the sad reality is that we do use, you know, the, the tips and the tricks. That's that's part of it, because ultimately somebody comes in, you know, we have three months. Some people you get six months, some people get seven months, but they're going to come in and they're going to have, you know, a five one forty and it needs to be a four six. So the, the 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 tips and the tricks can get you down a tenth of a second. But ultimately, in order to to drop somebody a half a second, you have to improve their a whole bunch of strength, their single leg strength, you know, their force output, their power output, their flexibility, their mobility to be more elastic, to lengthen their stride out and actually get them better. So you can get them, you can get a little bit better by giving tips and tricks, but really you need to do a whole integrated program uh, in order to, to maximize the benefits. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing that I really liked about coming to like work out with you is just, you know, day one, you just get like into the system and everything just kind of flows really naturally. You just get built up and stuff like that. You get educated on nutrition and stuff. Whereas, you know, some other places, if you go, it's just, all right, like this is the lift that we're doing today. Just like hop in and, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, we'll just kind of see where you're at, where it's like, you know, at least with you, it's all right. Like these are the measurables you should hit in 12 weeks because we know these are the results you should be getting. Cause we just go through the system and then bang in 12 weeks, you know, you're good. You're out. We got the measurables. Yes. We, I mean, we have, you know, 20 years of data that says, you know, you're 40 should, you know, I don't want to say it's guaranteed, but it really is guaranteed. If you come, you know, look, if you don't show up, we don't, you know, I, I run those kids out, the ones that are lazy, the ones that don't work hard, but if all you got to do is show up, that's a great thing. So attendance, I'm a big attendance guy. I had perfect attendance from kindergarten until my freshman year in college, 13 years, never missed a day of school. So, I mean, yeah, did I go there 70% of the time and not pay attention? Uh, probably, but you know, showing up, I don't know. I'm Cal Ripken jr. One of my favorite athletes of all time. Uh, he had, he, you know, he ended up doing pretty all right with his 2100, you know, games in a row, but the, the showing up component of it. So assuming you show up, I'll make you work hard. Um, and we know 40 will go down, you know, this is average. Some people go down a half second. Some people go down, you know, 0.15. But we know that vertical jump's going to go up, you know, typically two to four inches. 40 is going to go down two tenths of a second. Um, body fat percentage, guys that are trying to get lean, four to five percent. You know, weight gain, my, my weight gain guys gain 12 to 15 pounds in a 12 in a 12 week period. Um Broad jump typically goes up, you know, eight to 10 inches. So these are all things. Five, 10, five goes down three tenths of a second. Uh, and then if you want to take it to like baseball, ball velocity, miles per hour, we know that's going to go up three miles an hour. Exit velocity is going to go up X. 60 times going to go down Y. I mean, we just know this because it's just continuous testing and, and following, you know, following a system. And so as long as they do it and they put in effort, and we keep replicating that, everybody, everybody's going to improve. So now we have a few question and answers that we pulled from Instagram polls, uh, a few DMs. How much weight do I have to do to lose weight? Or how much cardio do I have to do to lose weight? Um, I get that question a lot. So everybody wants to lose weight. Uh, they want to lose fat. They want to do it. Hey, people, this goes into people being impatient. So they want... They want results quick. So when you're looking at weight or fat loss, I mean, it, from purely a cardiovascular perspective, number one, you generally, if you can, you want to work out in the morning. Um, you want to work out in the morning because your glycogen stores or your carbohydrate stores are the lowest. So when you when you're burning calories, you know, people go and they work out, your body is generally going to use carbohydrates first, then they're going to use protein, and then you're going to use fat. So um, by doing the cardio in the morning, uh, you're going to you're going to have the lowest carb stores. So now that allows so you're not running around burning carbs up, because uh, ultimately, we want to burn fat. So the low carb stores in the morning, you want to pair that with an amino acid. So amino acids, what this does is it buffers your lean mass. 
because we don't want to use our lean mass for to use for energy. We want fat. So the low carb stores, we we go through the minimal carbs first. Then your body is going to use the amino acids to fuel yourself to get through the workout and save your lean mass from getting burned. And then so you're going to be able to tap in and burn more. You're going to get into your fat burning zone or fat oxidation quicker by doing it in the morning with an amino acid. Now, the type of exercise that you should do should be um, what we do. We have a 40-day metabolic conditioning type workout to basically help with. uh, And I believe you did that when I had you do it a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, I did do that. Hopefully... You had success with that. Uh, yeah. No, it was actually pretty great. Um, Didn't you lose like 20 pounds? Yeah, I th- just about. Yeah, I think I might have even lost a little bit more. Um, I stopped drinking like coffee around then too because where I was drinking like a large iced coffee caramel swirl from Dunkin' Donuts like every day. Uh, and yeah, just kind of weight just kind of melted off. But needed it because I definitely put on a solid amount after college. The post-quarter or the post-football life uh, – weight concerns which happens especially for big guys like us yeah i um, know it was great i got up to like 313 pounds it was great um so the type of cardio that you want to do you want to do i am an interval based guy um so you want to do intervals that would mean you want to go to in the simplest form you want to do something extremely difficult for two minutes and if you don't have a heart rate i don't want to get in here and say 90 percent or 80 to 90 percent of your max heart rate but Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being puking, you want to be at about a 7. So you go to 7 for 2 minutes, and then you are and then you're, then you you're recover for 2 minutes. And then that your recovery, you'd want to get down to a 4 out of 10. And then you go for 2 minutes hard again for 7 to get an RP or a rate of perceived exertion for a 7, and then back to a 4. So those are intervals. You would do bouts. It's work-to-rest ratios. This isn't anything crazy or, or new. Um, but I mean, we go through and tap into different energy systems. So you'd want to do interval based work, um, and on an empty stomach with amino acids, that is hands down the number one way to lose fat. How long should I do the cardio for? It's, we're all about quality, not quantity. So, you know, you basically, you should be able to get your cardio done in 30 minutes. When you start going far longer than 30 minutes, and this triggers me I feel like you used to do hours of cardio. I, I used to ride the stationary bike for two to four hours a night uh, when I was trying to lose weight and stuff like that in the off season. All right. My nickname in high school, uh, well, not my nickname, but my basketball coach used to call me CC Sabathia because I'd show up for the season in shape and then I would just eat myself out of shape. Right. So it was just a countdown to get back into shape again. It was four four hours on the stationary bike. Uh, well, that sounds absolutely miserable. Uh, yeah, it sucked. Third, when I, well, when I first started training with you, that was like one of the first things you said to me, and I was like, "Oh my god, I I only have to do thirty minutes of cardio a day. This is fucking fantastic." Yeah, I mean, it's it's outside of, and I would say most people listening to this don't uh, even have two to four hours to do that. But I mean, whether it's training or cardiovascular work. I mean, we are, it's all about quality versus quantity. So going for more than 45 minutes, um, you, I mean, I don't want to say met- metabolism slows down, but 
um, it's not as effective. There's enough studies to show that the interval training, you know, we'll do steady state training. It's, it's don't eliminate that at all. Um, but we work that in once a week, whereas we're trying to do three days a week of intervals, you know, whether it's two minutes on two minutes off one minute on one minute off or something where, you know, we're going max effort. This is more with athletes, but where you're actually doing all out hundred percent max effort, you know, for 30 seconds, and then you would have two minutes off, but rotating through those, those intervals. And then once in a while working in one of those steady days, I call it a, we call it a flush run where, you know, you're going for still 25 to 30 minutes at a slower pace. Um, changing the stimulus allows us to get a better response. So you want to change it up as much as possible. You do want to do it in the morning. You want to do it on stomach. Some people can't do this. So you're not going to get a phenomenal cardio workout with no fuel in you. You got to kind of train your body to be able to do it. But it's the fastest, easy. I mean, it guarantee works. We do it, you know, we do it a lot um, with our big beefy guys. Um, but you have, it is a little bit difficult to do it on an empty stomach, but if you can do it, I mean, the end result is if you can't do it on an empty stomach, eat minimal amounts or try and do eat more protein. Uh, you don't want to eat a whole bunch of carbs cause you're going to generally use those carbs and it's counterproductive. So, um, but yeah, morning empty stomach aminos intervals. What should I eat the night before games? So, uh, I get a lot of nutrition questions, um, and it's interesting that somehow we're in 2021 and people still don't know. People are still doing things wrong. Um, so, the night before games, what you don't want generally is the big, humongous white pasta dinner, which is something that people do. You're, that was you're, my favorite, that and chicken parmesan and pizza. Of course. So, I mean, I get it because that's all tasty. But as far as setting us up for long-term success, um, it's more important on what you're eating two hours before the game than what you're eating the night before a game. So, you know, night before a game generally, you would want, you know, uh, a lean protein, you know, some sort of fruit and a vegetable. You don't want to eat new foods the day before a game. You want to eat familiar foods that you know how your body's going to respond. Because if you eat the wrong thing, even if you're if you go from eating, you know, McDonald's the night before, and then you flip and you go with, you know, sweet potatoes and a whole bunch of vegetables. I mean, nobody wants to shit their pants the next day, so that's counterproductive. So you would want to eat familiar foods, but you would want to practice these foods. This all goes back to my athletes, and we're just in a lab right now, so part of Part of being an athlete is starting to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And I, I give tools and, 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 and put tools in athletes' toolbox to use. But you, what, I, what you'll find is your highest level athletes and your best athletes um, or the ones that work the hardest, they start to pay attention to how does their body physiologically respond to eating blank before competing so really it's it's hard to you know i can give general guidelines but things can you know ultimately kind of veer off and be different but you have to you don't want to experiment you know the day before the nfl combine and and be like oh let me try and do this if i've been doing this so whatever you eat the night before it shouldn't be the first thing that you've the first time you're trying you know this new type of food you want to 
you know, do it the day before a practice and then you, you're going to see what your body responds to. So, but in general, lean proteins, vegetables, slow absorbing carbs, you don't have to carb load. You're not running a marathon. So you don't have to eat a whole bunch of food, eating a whole bunch of pasta the night before a game. All you're going to do is like store fat. You're going to, your blood sugar levels, the, the high glycemic sugar pasta is going to give you a whole bunch of energy. And then you go to bed three hours later and then some of your, I mean, I guess you store some of the carbs, uh, but you store some as fat. It just, it's not really going to set you up for a football game into the right thing. So now let's really answer the question is what should I eat before a game? And the answer is um, the most important thing is slow absorbing carbs. So if you want to keep, you know, 100% whole wheat bread, if you want to keep it, if you want to flip breakfast, because you could eat breakfast for lunch, you could eat lunch for lunch, you could eat breakfast for dinner. Some people don't like to do that. But, you know, something like Wheaties, it's something that we have our kids eat for breakfast. It's a slow absorbing, slow, you know, it'll give you steady energy levels. You're not going to have the peaks and valleys and the cravings and the crashing. So what I'm starting to get, um, you know, one of my pro baseball players told me that he was he was eating uh, fruit snacks. I've never been, a f- I, I've done fruit snacks but it's just too much sugar for me um well they don't sell it as that on the package but uh in the clubhouse the the kid was smashing fruit snacks and he was crashing in the sixth inning and he's a reliever so that's not good um so slow absorbing carbohydrates is is what you want to have so now i'll do firing squad let me just fire some stuff out brown rice uh wheaties 100 whole wheat bread brown rice for breakfast Brown rice, um, we're talking about before football games. Gotcha. Two gotcha. hours before football. So we need carbs, and we need slow-absorbing carbs to give us energy, steady energy so we don't have the crashing and the insulin you know, spikes later on in the day. So we got to go whole wheat bread. We got to go brown rice. Um, any wheat product that's basically whole, um, not enriched wheat flour on the back of the package, whole. So peanut butter and jelly is okay. You just have to watch the amount of sugar in the jelly because that could speed that jelly is sugar. So what you don't want is sugar. So you don't want white rice. You don't want any white products. You don't want high glycemic. Mashed potatoes are the worst thing you could eat. Uh, Spaghetti, old school Italian spaghetti. um, uh, Like home fries. Like, uh, you know what I'm talking about, like the breakfast potatoes. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. Doesn't work. Because potatoes are super fast orange absorbing juice. and high. Orange juice, terrible. Terrible. Yep. Uh, that's sugar. That's not that's I feel not like steady. everything I just used to do is terrible. Everything you used to do is generally terrible. You, you are a top five, got some of the top five worst nutritional advice uh but you've got it from some other people that we're, we're gonna leave nameless but yeah you got some of the worst nutritional advice honestly that i've ever heard in my life and that was what eight nine years ago but uh it still holds up to kind of shocking with some of the things that they were having you do but did i i feel like i actually but what because that's a whole nother tangent on its own i feel like i covered that slow absorbing carbs you can work in a little bit of you know lean proteins you don't want to eat fried foods you want it to be clean and slow absorbing and that's going to get you get your brain because your brain can only function on carbohydrates correctly so not eating any carbs at all isn't the right answer so 
back to because other people, I had a hard-boiled egg and a banana. Bananas really aren't carbs, and obviously eggs aren't carbs. Uh, you're just it's there's you know it's not sustainable. It's not going to sustain you to perform at a high level for hours on end. I mean, depending on the sport, some of the I mean, the whole football process is it's not even like it's a two-hour thing. It's really a four to five hour. Once you go out there, you warm up, you're going your brain adjustments, you know. Yeah, half time. It's, and then, you know, college baseball, double headers. So, I mean, those guys are playing, you know, eight, that's an eight to 10 hour day. So it really is, it really is, you know, they have to fuel up multiple times, you know, throughout competition. So here's a, a it's not really a question, but whatever. Uh, what are your opinions? We can make it a question. What are your opinions on PG years or reclassifying? I am the biggest pro PG reclassified guy you could ever imagine. Um, number one, all I do every day is generally train athletes. So if you look at the percentage of athletes that have moved on to play in college, I mean, 70% have reclassed. Um, reasons why it's the greatest thing ever i mean it's an extra year of development so you can't control when puberty is going to start you can't control when uh puberty is going to end so developmentally if you can get an extra year to be older than someone else i mean yeah there's age categories you know for there's the 15u team and the 16u team and the set but if you're an older individual playing against somebody younger, you are going to perform better. And the better you perform, the better your statistics are. And statistics are a measuring, you know, one of these measures that determine, you know, if you're going to play college athletics. So if you can, if you can do something to allow you to get a competitive advantage, performance training is competitive advantage so you you know going to the right one if you go to the right one it's a competitive advantage getting an extra year gives your body i mean there's kids that one of my athletes he grew an inch and a half in college so he already pg'd one year and once you add in and that still wasn't enough i mean if he didn't do it i think he was five nine he would have been five nine. He PG'd, which made him five ten and a half. And in college, he gained another inch and a half, which made him six feet. If he would have, because some people reclass in eighth grade, right? Maybe twice. I have a kid who reclassed in eighth grade twice. Then hit. So if he would have done a reclass in eighth grade, so right now he plays FCS football. That's so if he wouldn't have reclassed, he would have probably been a D2 player because he reclassed. It was a, he allowed his measurables to get him to a one double A player. And if he would have done an eighth grade reclass, which is an option now, so that would be making yourself two years farther, his growth in college would not have been college and he would have been six foot still in high school, which would have changed his measurables potentially to a, a D1A player. So when it comes to reclassing, once you go, I mean, he was able to go farther along, and this is with everybody, because you have another year to train, you have another year to get your 40 lower, you get another year to gain 20 pounds, you have another year to improve at your sport. So... There is no doubt that it helps. 
we're building resumes. So another year of play is another, it's resumes. It's another year of, of communications with coaches. It's another year of the camp circuit. It's another year of, it's just, it's another year. It's cheat code. What should you do if you feel like you're overtraining? Uh, what I learned is a lot of people don't know if about overtraining, what it is, and if they are, or their, their ability to identify that there's a problem. But first off, uh, training is a stressor, just like you know your job. You're you're putting physical and and mental strain on your body, so training is a stressor. Um, and if that's not managed, um, you can get put in an overtrained state. So being overtrained is your body's inability to recover from your, your stressors um, or your training in this in this specific um, circumstance. So the body is pretty smart in, in, in the sense that when it's when it feels like there's something wrong, it gives you signs and symptoms that there's a problem. So if you're an athlete and you notice that you're plateauing in the weight room, um, and that your strength levels are going down and you don't understand. It's like, I'm working so hard and I'm not getting stronger. I mean, yes, it could be a programming thing, but it could be an overtraining thing. So the bodies, one of the body's ways of getting you to take rest is to send you signs and symptoms. So when you're in an overtrained state, strength decreases, power decreases. So your ability to jump is high, your body's ability to produce force. So it starts sending minor signs and symptoms like that. And then if you ignore those things, um, then there's, you know, worse things happen. So the, and when you're in an overtrained state, your body's ability to dynamically stabilize decreases. So that means that your chance of pulling your back when you deadlift severely increase if you're in an overtrained state. So what we've noticed is, most of if if there's tweaks or ailments or there's injuries on the field, not even in the weight room, typically those things happen at the end of the third week of a training cycle. So so that's why we typically download or back off and do half the volume and we change the intensity um, on that fourth week. So now your body might you might tweak a hammy or you might slightly pull your groin. Or you could start to get lower back pain or your lower back gets tightened. Those are signs and symptoms of overtraining. Um, if you ignore those, then we have the next level. So I've had athletes that can't sleep. Um, cortisol levels. So you have people that are trying to lose weight and get lean. They're increasing fat storage. So you could see people that are on a weight loss program, they start to gain weight. So cortisol levels increasing, which causes fat trigger or fat to store, that is a sign that that's something that happens when you're, you know, in an overtrained state. Lack of desire to train. So you start to question whether you want to play athletics anymore. Um, that is a that is a sign and symptom. So your body is giving you all these signs and symptoms that there's something wrong. Um, and then it's up to you to be able to identify it and, and make the appropriate change. So the answer is, if you feel these types of things and you see your performance plateauing or showing a decrease, it's probably because you're overtrained. You have to back off on what you're doing. The problem is once you get to the point where you're severely overtrained, it's not something where you could just take off a day or take two days off and have it be fine. I've had athletes that have been overtrained for 
It took a month for them to get over it, two months to get over it. So, and generally backing off for a week, if I had to give an answer, you know, doing half of what you normally do, or maybe even taking a full week off, completely changing the stimulation or the stimulus, getting out of the weight room, go play golf, tennis, whatever, complete stimulus change, just don't pick up a weight. Um, so that would be a move to make. But within our program, our system, uh, we are always every four weeks. It's a non-negotiable because athletes don't want to. You're really, you're really hardworking athletes, and most of the athletes in my facility they like to get after it. They don't want to take a week off. They don't get it. People don't understand. This all goes back to doing. You get more out of doing less. So we built it in. It's a non-negotiable, and we're backing off. We're doing more stretching, yoga, tissue work, mobility backing off on the weight and basically we are still doing things we're not just watching tv but we're doing active recovery regeneration pool mobility um all types of things you know to get back into the game to repair and recover to prepare us for our our first week in a training cycle is there anything good to get at dunkin donuts um if you if you're to the point in time where you're already at Dunkin'. That means you did not do your due diligence to make all of the the optimal choices, which would be getting up that five to ten minutes early and actually having something from home. Now we're in the situation. We have to go to Dunkin' Donuts, and you have to make decisions. Well, number one, the good news is that's on my edited, revised nutritional uh, meal plan guidelines. It is. Um, but for those of you that don't have that, you know, generally you want to go, you can't do the bagel, that's out. You're not doing donuts, that's some bullshit. So, Those are my two favorite things right there. Of course they are. That's yeah. everybody's two favorite things. So if we don't want to be a complete degenerate, we are basically now uh, into the wake-up wrap, the egg and cheese wake-up wrap. So if we have to power rank Dunkin' Donuts, uh, best things to get... The, that we can actually eat and not be terrible. Unless you're the 3% weight gain guy, then you can get your strawberry iced donut. Uh, but the answer is the egg and cheese wake up wrap. That would be in the number one, uh, number one spot. Your number two now it's variations of that. So um, I might do a one a with the Turkey sausage, egg and cheese, wake up wrap. So I will put those equal. I actually kind of like that one. I might move that into the number one power ranking because it's more protein. Uh, you get the, the protein from the Turkey, uh, Turkey sausage and the protein from the egg. So you get a double protein. We know that the cheese isn't great, but you, let's be real. You need some cheese on it. Yeah. And the, the tortilla I mean, the things are tiny. So we're getting, we're, it's a bad carb, but we're getting a low amount of it. We're surrounding that fast absorbing bad carb with um, two decent protein options, which would be turkey, sausage, and egg. Protein can slow down the absorption of, of the carb, the bad tortilla, uh, a little bit. So it kind of checks the boxes from a, the fat protein carb ratio perspective. As I said, you're at Dunkin' Donuts and you got to make the move. I mean, I would be very happy if one of my get lean clients were, were, were going that route. After the turkey sausage, egg, and cheese, now you, I'd probably say bacon. The bacon, egg, and cheese wake-up wrap and rounding out the bottom would be the regular sausage wake-up wrap. And outside of that, now you're – if you once you veer off into the, the muffin – 
anything that you pair with the muffin, the muffin is more bad carbs, so it's a higher volume of bad carbs. You're better off doubling up the wake-up wrap. So now you're a big guy like us. We know that one wake-up wrap ain't going to cut it. Yep. That's where you hit the two egg and cheese or the two turkey sausage egg and cheese. You can't go to the bagels. Bagels are death. The English muffin is generally, that would be the next tier. So an egg and cheese on an English muffin, that that's in the five hole. And then you could do the same thing, then go bacon, then go sausage, because sausage has a whole bunch of fat and a whole bunch more calories. The bacon doesn't have as much protein, but generally doesn't have as much fat. So you're going to tear it you know, with, the, with the wraps first and then, and then the English muffins. I'm not even talking to you about a bagel. Yeah. Because bagels are death. Let's just and if we we're going to a bagel, a go to New York, and and b why are you you shouldn't be a Dunkin' Donuts eating a bagel anyways? That's embarrassing. If you're gonna go get a bagel, at, well around here chefs, uh, but go to New York. Like at least get if you're gonna really go down that hole, you might as well get a really good bagel. That's embarrassing that you're a Dunkin' Donuts eating a bagel. All right. Instead of a question, Ned's just gonna go on a rant about. Football camps. Uh, there, believe it or not, there's actually a rhyme and rationale and reasoning and planning and strategy to a camp season. So, what I'm currently going through right now is kids coming up to me, coach. Just gotta let you know, I can't work out hard. I got a camp tomorrow. I can't work out hard. I got a camp. I'm gonna miss this day. I got a camp. I got a camp. I got like a camp. College camp. College camps. So, um, when you look at college, when you look at what you're supposed to do and what makes the most sense and what a good plan is, it should be planned out. So I'm not saying that what everybody is doing is wrong. Hear me out. Um, anybody that's done a camp back to back days, uh, and we'll throw this out there. Have you done a camp back-to-back days, Dante? Yeah, a thousand percent, multiple times. And they've probably measured your 40 at this camp. Uh, a couple of times, the second camp, I'd be like, ooh, I pulled my hammy, and then miraculously make a recovery a few minutes later and go to the skill section. Okay. And pr- it was not the best idea. So the So making the move of not doing it on the second day isn't the right move. Because that makes you look bad. But what typically what people are going to do, I'll just, they run 40s. When you run a full speed 40 on a Saturday and you go through the gauntlet, 5, 10, 5, broad jump, vertical jump. So there's all those physical measurables. Then you get into your positional stuff and your one-on-ones. Everybody's done these camps before. You're tired. You're, you're gassed. So that Saturday, let's say you go to the Southern camp. And you go through this whole process, you go the next day. I mean, here's my data. When you go to two camps on back-to-back days, and not even back-to-back, within super short durations, you're not going to perform as well the second camp as you do on the first camp. So what are we doing? And I never hear people like, yeah, I went on Saturday and ran a 4.62. But then Sunday, the next day, fucking killed it, 4.49. That doesn't happen. You end up running slower on your second day, and there's very few times that you even sustain what you do the day before. The body is not made to go through an NFL combine twice in two days. You know, if you look at what they're doing, it's spread out in multiple days. Um, so the rhyme and rationale is there's when you look at timing, you don't want to go. You, it should the whole thing needs to be laid out, just like 
When I'm creating a program to peak an athlete, I'm looking at a three or four month block and I'm planning and progressing everything out. When you go to do your camp circuit, you should be planning and spreading everything out. So like, I know the way, I mean, personally, we used to do it, me and my parents, is we'd be like, all right, like what's the best weekend that works for like our schedule and stuff? I mean, probably not the best way to do it. Like if you're actually going to go to a camp and try and get offered, like you're like, you should plan that out like three months ahead, right? You should be starting, I mean, as soon as they drop the dates, that's when you start to, you try and, it's gathering data and gathering information. So it also depends on what year you are, um, because if you're, you know, I mean, if you're a senior, if you're going to be a senior and you're going through this whole process, you're officially three years behind and you're in kind of trouble. But, you know, if you're doing the, we typically do a dry run camp circuit schedule your sophomore year so the summer of your sophomore year maybe if we've if we've if I've had the kid in you know at 12 13 years old you know we might do a super dry run your freshman year but in general you know you're laying everything out you want to make sure that the first camps that you do in the beginning of your camp circuit is schools that you probably don't want to go to so your best thing to do when you first start to do this camp circuit is you want to pick a school, your random D3 school, Anna Maria College. Hope nobody's listening that goes to Anna Maria College. And Shout out Anna Maria College. Right. So you want to go there. And then you're saying, Ned, man, I don't want to go to Anna Maria College. That's like the armpit of the East Coast. And I'm going to say perfect because when you go, you don't – if you're trying to work for Google – and you've never been on an interview, you don't just walk into Google and be like, I'm ready to go. You you go to the gas station and or you go to Burger King, like where I used to work. And if you if I'm trying to do an interview, I want to go to Burger King and I'm gonna mess up at Burger King. I'm not gonna sound great, and that's okay. You don't want your first camp that you ever go to to be, let's say your dream school is Yukon. You don't want your first ever camp to be Yukon, you're not gonna show well. You don't know the flow. You don't if and if you're doing it right, you're still too young and your measurables aren't going to be good. So every time you go to these camps, you're you're showcasing yourself. And you're either showcasing yourself in a good light or a bad light. And you don't want to go to your dream schools and your number one places in the beginning of a camp season um with because you have to prepare for the. We prepare athletes for these camps. So, you want to put your. You want to number one. You want to delay your camps as far and as late into the season as possible, um, because that the more time you have to prepare, the better your measurables are going to be, and you and you don't. So you want the schools that you're not into, and that are less important in the beginning. And you want the more important schools um, that you're into at the end. And then there's everything in between. So UConn has a camp uh, June 10th and July 24th. There's no reason to do the June 10th camp. It makes no sense. Because you're going to be in a better position to showcase yourself better July 24th. So, if hey, Ned, you want six extra weeks to prepare to play at a high level? Sign me up. Yeah. Why go June 10th when you don't need to? So some places you kind of have to. So we have 
you know, do the do the do the your first time through. Pick a school that you know you don't want to go to and do it there. That's practice. You're getting practice reps. See what the structure is. See how your body responds. As you and then the second thing is you have to space them out. So some of them it's not possible. Ideally, you would want to do three or four camps in a summer, and you want you would want to have three weeks in between each camp. So three months with you know four camps with at least two to three weeks apart that's generally what you want to do um you don't but sometimes you can't control when these camps are so what happens if you really want to go to the yukon camp which is july 10th and you really want to go to the boston college camp which is you know july 17th well i don't even know i don't know if those are the two best examples but you know what's more what are, are you more of a Boston College-like guy or a UConn-type player, like skill-level-wise? A lot different. Harder to go to Boston College than it is to UConn. I mean, yeah. those are still 1A schools, but, you know, if Bentley is the 17th and UConn is the 10th, and, I mean, there really is every person, it's a different, it's a different situation. If I'm talking to a, a potential D1 player, I'm going to not do the Bentley camp and I'm going to do the UConn camp because that's the skill level that I where I think I'm at. But if I'm not a really a D1 player, I mean, I'm going to and if and if I really love Bentley and I'm more into the academic component of it, I'm going to not do the UConn camp and do the Bentley camp. So the problem is if I'm probably a D2 Bentley like kid, but I go to the UConn camp 7 days before, I'm there's a chance that I'm not going to perform as well that week after, or if they're on back-to-back days. Why go to UConn the 18th and go to Bentley the 19th when you know your measurables are and your performance is going to suffer on the 19th? And that's great that you performed well at the UConn camp, but you're not a, a 1A player. And you're, you're minimizing your, you know, you're not doing as well the next day. So why did we do that? Is it because you, there's a lack of awareness? Is your coach lying to you and telling you you're a D1 player, 1A player when you're not? You know, and you need somebody to basically guide you through this. So part of what we do with these players is we look at the schedule. We find the four. We find spacing. We're troubleshooting. And we're trying to actually have a game plan to ensure that you're performing well. I have kids that go to three camps in three days. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. That's a rough one. So you know, you know, go to the go to the the schools that you're not interested earlier in your career, earlier in the season. Generally, delay everything as far away as possible. We're in the Northeast. It's hard to train for 40s when there's two feet of snow on the ground. So there have been times where, I mean, we have an indoor, we have 40 yards of turf in a straight line. So we're able to do it a little bit more now. But generally, you know, a lot of the things that we do to improve 40s, it does require to be outside at some period of time, which can't happen in December. So doing a camp July 20, or I'm sorry, April 28th, is just generally how good are you who looks good April twenty eighth. I mean, so if you don't, you know, when would that be good? You're a freshman and you're doing a you're doing a super dry run, and it's April twenty eighth, and it doesn't matter, and it's an Anna Marie College. Great, let's go see what it looks like. I gotta pick another one. Give me another one besides Anna Marie College because I'm burying them. I'm trying to think of an athlete where I don't have anybody from right now. WPI. 
W perfect. perfect. I don't think I've ever had a WPI. Shout out WPI. WPI. Go to WPI. Best place to go to figure out, you know. To figure out where you want to go. Yeah. So it's it's an it's that's one of you know, go somewhere random, doesn't matter. You can shit your pants. It doesn't even matter because it's like, I don't want to go to WPI. It's probably like some, it's a great, isn't it like a really good academic school? Uh, I, I, uh, I've only heard bad things about WPI. The, the academics have not come up. Really, just the location has come up. Where is it? WPI? It, it's in Worcester. Oh, yeah. they have that crazy thing where there's, there's like a million cars that go into one circle and you never know, but everybody has the right of way. Have you ever been like, to Worcester? Like a roundabout. Roundabout, but it's it's a it's a round of anxiety and car accidents. It's just this thing where a million cars meet in a circle, and and everybody just goes, and you don't know what to do, and you don't know whose turn it is. And if you're from Worcester, Mass, it's completely fine, and everybody knows what to do. But if you're not from Worcester, Mass, you're just wondering who's gonna hit you. Yeah, you're you're just wondering why are you in Worcester, Mass? Right. Well, I was there for a Hamden Hall state championship or NEPSAC, uh ring. We won the state championship and played there. We played at Brown. Um, wait, is Brown in Worcester, Mass? I have. I might have been. No idea. I might have been. That might have been the other championship. But wow. for one of the state championships, we were in Worcester, Mass, and that is something else out there. But so. Does that make sense with the camp circuits? Spacing three to four, pushing them back as late as possible, spreading it out. I mean, at the end of the day, part of this thing is they're it's they're there for recruiting. They're it's a money maker. They know they want to get as many people. I mean, some of these camps have 500, 700 kids. You're not going to get looked at. I mean, something that comes from uh, Joe Linta, who's an NFL agent, and we he tells he's the head coach of Hamden Hall. And he tells the players all the time, if you're going to a camp, you need to tell me where you're going and I have to get in contact because how are they going to pick you out if of, of hundreds of players? They're not. So, yeah. the, I mean, the big name guys, they're, they know that they're there and that's who they're looking at. So you need the coach is supposed to – so your high school football coach is one of their jobs should be to help you with this process. And you got to hope that you have – a a head football coach that has you know that type of book that type of network to be able to reach out to say like you got to look at this kid i'm telling you what he's blah 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 you know you need somebody to labor for you to get them to you know to put in a word for you otherwise you're just going to camps and they're taking money so um even if you pick the right camps and you spread them out the right way and you do the ones that you don't care about early in their season, there's another component is letting your coach know, trying to get your coach to reach out to these places so they know that you're there so they're actually going to look at you because they're not locked in with 500 kids. You know how hard it is to evaluate talent when you have hundreds of kids to look at in a short amount of time? Yeah, it's crazy. So, and they're randomly, you know, trying to, I mean, you get lost in the pack. So, for me, I'm not, much like my training, I am not a volume camp guy. I am a quality versus quantity. Pick your spots. Make sure you perform perform well. Uh, Make sure that you let your coach know. Cross-reference and make sure the coach talks to the the you know, the person, if the situation allows for it, you should be able, you should go to that camp and try and, you know, introduce yourself. There should be, a, there should be follow-up. So 
we are not in a player's market right now. We are in a – because especially with, with COVID and everything, you know, guys have so many more years of eligibility. One of the worst times to get recruited and get scholarships is right now because the whole pipeline, because of the NCAA transfer portal, because of all the extra eligibility given to all the different um, – to all the different kids that have experienced and gone through this wonderful past year and a half, there's less spots. Everything is getting is getting slowed down. Isn't there like over a thousand kids in the baseball transfer portal? There's right now? over a thousand kids in the D one baseball transfer portal right now. Yeah, that's so that that's is a insane. thousand. That is a thousand less. I mean, because they've built a resume. Because if they're they're in a D one program, whether they were good or not. I mean, that's a thousand less D1 baseball scholarships that are going to be offered because those guys are more than likely going to find a home somewhere. They're not all going to transfer to D2 and they're not all going to retire. So, I mean, there is a surplus. So when you look at, you know, what people and what athletes don't understand is you're just not going to get 10 offers because, you know, you're big, big fish, small pond, and wherever you're at in Connecticut, we're in Connecticut also, you're already at a disadvantage. So, I mean, you need to, you need to do your due diligence, you know, when you, when you're going through this whole process, follow up, make a name, coaches, football coaches like persistence and they like to know. So if I go to a camp, I am reaching out to whoever I need to reach out to Hi, thanks for taking the time out, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, hey, I'm coming, and thanks for having me. So those are all things, you know, attaching film. Parents need to reach out and, and labor and and actively help their kids get to these places. The coaches like it. It helps you stand out, and it's absolutely necessary in a time where, um, there's just, there's too many bodies and not enough scholarships going on.